what I've learned is that, you know, you can, if you have the ability to tell a story and to do certain things with the book, you know, and a lot of it's organizing and doing certain things, you really can, you know, help someone else write their story. I've made a career out of being completely outside of the box and not being known for kind of anything. It was sometime in the winter of 1999. It's January or February, I think. When Illinois is cold and gray, and you're starting to believe it will never be warm again. It was at this time I started a job at a small publishing house in the suburbs of Chicago. I was excited to learn the book business and design book covers and meet with authors and explore story. I had such a romanticized view of everything. What ended up being one of the many great chapters of working there was meeting a group of young professionals, of which many have stayed in touch with over the years. One in particular, we used to sit and laugh and joke and talk about movies and music and dream about what the future could be like. Could we start our own businesses? Or in today's guest's ideal dream, make a career in being an author. So it is truly exciting for me to share Travis's story, which is proof that with some grit, the ability to shift, dreams can come true. Enjoy the show. Travis, thanks for joining me on the show. And I was trying to think last night as I was getting ready. We met, I think, in 1999. Yeah, that sounds about right. So you and I were both working at a publishing house, Tyndale House. And you know what I don't know? You know, give me sort of the kind of where did Travis grow grow up and then kind of what transpired from then to me meeting you at Tinder House like you know yes. what was what was young Travis's life like on his way to becoming an <laughs> author well I I've got a unique story because I am one of those people it, it was in third grade I was I was living in Munich Germany my father worked in pharmaceutical sales and every opportunity he got he moved our family so we we lived everywhere and so I was living in Munich and my third grade teacher encouraged me in my writing. And that combined with her reading the Narnia Chronicles by C.S. Lewis, that's what did it. I was like, that's what I want to do. That's I want to be a writer one day. And I was never a good student. Well, in um, third grade, you're telling me right yes. now, little Travis yep. knew he wanted to be an author. <laughs> yes, and I, I actually have I've, I've saved every single thing I've ever written as if like, you know, it's one day going to be in a museum, which is ridiculous. Right. Or when Tom Hanks plays you in your, in your movie, yes. right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I still have that notebook. I've got this pirate story where it's like where she, the, the moment she encouraged me, I remember it's Miss Miller. I've never been able to contact her, but yeah, I, I remember that vividly. And, and then Years later, I mean, in ninth grade, I was living in North Carolina, and this was, you know, before the internet and all this sort of stuff, social media and, you know, iPhones. And so one summer, I decided to, you know, I think it was before ninth grade, decided to write a novel, I wrote a whole novel in pencil, finished it, and it was terrible. I mean, it was, it was just ridiculous. But as I've always said, when I try to encourage people with writing, I said, I finished it. And that was like the best thing I could have done because in my mind, I'm like, well, I finished one. I can do it again. So what was, before you know, we go on, what was the novel about? Do you, I mean, do you remember? 
Oh yeah, yeah, and okay. I still have that too. It was about a guy whose wife or no fiance is murdered by the mafia. So then he just works his way up, just killing you know them until he gets to the Godfather, and then he kills the Godfather, and that's the end. You can probably see why it was never published. You know, it, I mean, it it was just it, it honestly was just something that I wanted to do for fun, mm. and uh, and I actually started writing a sequel, but. It, you know, it, it was it was great because I finished it and and then even, you know, after college, I mean, this was what I wanted to do, but I was not a good student. And even in English, I mean, I generally would not. I mean, I was just very average. Uh, but when I graduated college, I, I had a, a degree in communications. But really, my degree was in beer. I mean, I, I'll just be honest. I mean, I you was specialized not a, in, in beer. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I was a troublemaker, and you know, I I didn't know what I was going to do, where I was going to go, except that I still wanted to write. So, the job at Tyndale House was just a godsend. It was it was amazing because when I interviewed there, um, first off, I interviewed for like a copywriting position copy editor. And they said, you know, you're qualified, but your your personality doesn't fit what a copy editor does, you know, just all day long working on a manuscript, which is ironic. That's exactly what I do. But they said, you know, you're too extroverted. So then the author relations position came up and it was a position where it's like I was a middle person between the publishing house and the authors. And I was like, look, this is this is the second best thing I could be doing other than writing full time. And, uh, and I think honestly, they had in mind probably more of a female than male because of first off, females can relate well, better. I mean, that's a stereotype, but it is true, but it was an administrative job and I was fortunate to get that. And, mm. and even more fortunate, I was a few year, years, I, I started working there in 94. Okay, so, was that um, now? Was that your first job out of college? Uh, no, I mean I had like a couple of smaller jobs that that were you know ridiculous. I so mean, this one is your was, first first big like kind of legit job. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. and and I worked the same position. I mean, it, I grew it, but that's all I did. Thirteen and a half years at Tyndale, and and then we met. You know, a life changing moment was when we met. And I mean, uh, obviously, for, yeah. Yes, of course. <laughs> well, but, uh, you know, one of the things I want to say too, what I remember about you, and this is one of the things I really admired about you and I enjoyed being able to, you know, because we never we never completely worked directly together while we we're there. Yeah. But I always felt you had you took the job seriously, but also you had a great joy about it. And when I would go to author meetings, talk to them about their covers or you know see them at shows they very much felt seen and taken care of and attached to you so you did you from my perspective it seemed like you enjoy the job did you did a great you know job at that what are some of the main things that you learned from that that position yeah it it really was amazing because it i had to know a little bit of everything about the publishing house because at first it was administrative where I'm sending out checks and contracts and books and all that. So I, you know, and, and at any point, what the position was really just to be a, a point person for the authors so that if they had any sort of issue question, they could contact me. 
And so the more I knew, I mean, I would get questions about kind of everything like, you know, print runs. And, and so I'd have to go talk to somebody in production or, you know, questions about marketing questions about where, you know, I've not heard from this acquisitions person for like two weeks. Did they die? You know, can you, you know, I mean, and I'm like, oh, let me check. I mean, you know, all those sorts of things, but it really grew into an acquisitional role because a, a lot of, you know, editors, especially the authors that you want to keep, a big part of it is just keeping in touch with them, keeping the relationship open. Like, hey, you know, how are you doing? Have any new ideas for books? And how are oh, you we mean doing? From, you mean yeah. writers, like staying in touch with writers? Yes. And yeah, okay. So yeah, before sorry. we go too deep in there, maybe you could just give like a Cliff Notes version of what the publishing industry was like back then, just for those who don't, aren't familiar with it. So I'll... I'll start it off what I think is true, right? So publishing house would, would either find an author, an author would send a manuscript in, right? To an acquisition person. And yeah. then kind of what happens from there. Yeah. I mean, the, the sort of the, the idea of people sending in the manuscripts and it going into a slush file, that was always one of those things that is just a rarity that an editor will find a manuscript and, and decide to publish it. That did happen. But, you know, it was, Tyndale was real small at the time, you know, uh, for a publishing house. And, but we had our key authors and what, what they do, you know, they would sign a contract. And the first thing is like, sign a contract, get the first payment. And then, you know, they set the dates and all this sort of stuff. And typically it's like, okay, sign a contract. You have six months to a year or whatever to work on the book, hand it in. And then once they get the manuscript finished, they'll work with the acquisitions editor, but eventually there's like different steps in the editing process. You know, there's like a line editor, there's copy editor, proofreader. And a lot of times those titles, even at a place like Tyndall, I mean, they would sometimes change where it's like acquisitions manager, blah, blah. I, you know, even for me, it was uh, I, I was author relations coordinator and I was always like, I don't care about my title. I, like, I, I don't want a business card. I just want the authors to know who I am. Mm. And that's what's important. And I want my boss to know, you know, my boss was Ron Beers, who, you know, he was a publisher, still is great guy. And I just wanted him to know, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is, but throughout the process, you know, once an author gives their book to the editor like i'm in this process now where i just two two and a half weeks ago i gave handed a book in to an editor and so they're reading it but it's like silence and and of course you know as an author i mean i've been through this so many times but still i'm always like oh what are they thinking you know like is are they enjoying it are they just you know tearing it to shreds with a red marker you know that sort of thing so when i was at tyndale house I would a lot of times hear from authors after they delivered a manuscript, not that I had anything new, any sort of new information to give them, but it was more of like a sounding board or more of just a a lot of times I just, I felt like I I often call myself like now I I refer to it as like I was sort of a bartender or a counselor Author whisperer, yeah. (laughs) Yes, I mean, it's like that sort of thing. Whatever the author needed, you know, and so it's it's a long process. Publishing takes a lot lot of time. I mean, as you know, for instance, sometimes authors would see their covers 
and and you know you were on the other side working on covers and presenting them right and yep. you know and and occasionally i'd hear from an author who was like totally distraught like they didn't like the cover that you know had been chosen and i think tindall was always really really great i mean we had such a great design team and even there i mean the the fact of wanting to take care of our authors i mean it's, it wasn't like just me i mean it spread throughout the whole company yeah, and uh, i think and they're still really great at that some publishers I'm, i tell you what i i wish they had author relations it's sort of like they're the opposite i'm like i you know it's like wow they're doing every single thing to like make a writer really hate them i mean that's <laughs> rare but it, i feel like that's they're not making it like, easy in other words right they're not taking care yeah. of you yeah no no but that's that doesn't happen much but you know yeah so it, it's it's a process and 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 the the great thing was i i mean i don't know how many authors i worked with but i i probably i mean it had to be i'm thinking maybe over a thousand i don't i don't know like and all of these are different. You had your children's book authors, your your fiction authors, you had businessmen and pastors, and I mean, every type. And so that really just helped me see the variety of different people out there. And and I kind of gleaned a little bit, I, th I think from every single person I worked with, you know, how they work. And I mean, it just, it just proves that, I always say anybody can be a writer, but, but even just a published author, you know, there's no one set way to do it. You yeah. know, it's, everybody's different. Well, I think what was extraordinary, and I'd love to to hear your thoughts on this, is your time at Tyndale being author relations, you were a part of, I don't know where it stands these days, but of one of the greatest book series, right? Or high best-selling book series ever. It's got, I think, isn't it in the top five or 10? Yeah, ever? It's, yeah, it's up there. Yeah. Yep. And that was the Left Behind series. And were you, if I remember right, one of the main authors there, Jerry Jenkins, you were his author relations person as well, correct? Yep. Or, or was Jerry yes. at a different level? Or did, did Travis no. get to? <laughs> Jerry, uh, I mean, Jerry was really and, and still is like, a, he became a mentor to me. I remember I had only been there, honestly, at Tyndale maybe a month or two. And I saw on my desk the in my inbox the contract for left behind and it was a one book deal and and i remember i knew jerry jenkins because my father worked at moody press at the time moody publishers my dad had actually been hired by jerry and, wow. and i mean and it's a small Crazy. world but yeah and i knew jerry wrote fiction and i was like once i learned sort of who jerry was even before left behind i was like that's that's what i want to do and jerry had given my dad some of his fiction to give to me. He had even signed, I have an early copy of a book before Tyndale and he had signed it to me and he said, read this and then we'll talk about your writing. So this was pre-Tyndale. Wow, that's crazy date. cool. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was awesome. So what, when I saw that contract, I was like, whoa, it's awesome. And early on, Jerry lived not too far away. He lived in the Chicago suburbs. So I would go drive out and visit him. We just instantly hit it off. And this was, this was like right at the start of left behind. And then once it started, I mean, it was insane. I, I tell people other than there's the Harry Potter series, of course, you mm -hmm. know, one of the biggest series ever, 
But at the time, the Left Behind series was right. I mean, it was second to that in terms mm -hmm. of sales. It was just millions and millions of copies. And we were a small publisher and it was, it was a bit surreal. I look back at that and I just go, man, it was exciting. And, you know, it's, you know, one book became three books became, you know, 12. And I mean, I don't know how many there are prequels and sequels and <laughs> kid series. But, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so my job, so the fun thing I, I have to tell this, I mean, I, it, it really was, I, I became sort of one of the main links to Jerry because of that relationship. I remember when he and his family moved to Colorado, Jerry, you know, I said, look, Jerry, anything you need, Tyndale, you know, we'll, we'll help you out and stuff. And he's like, well, are, are you serious? I mean, do you, do you really mean that? And I'm like, well, of course. And he's like, well, here's the deal. We, we're, um, what would you think about riding along with us? you know, as we move and, and because we're taking two vehicles, we've, and he has three sons, but only one son was available to help. And he really wanted, it wasn't like he wanted help moving, like he had movers, right? but I think he honestly wanted, it was like they're driving through the night mm -hmm. and wanted somebody to just, you know, probably keep him awake and, <laughs> and just, so, so I'm, you know, I asked my boss and, you know, they're like, well, yeah, sure. So, so I literally got paid by Tyndale to ride across country with Jerry Jenkins, who, you know, and every time I talked to him, I would just be picking his brain. How do you do this? And what do you think of this? And so tell awesome. me that's you, not... That's amazing. You were literally, you had a masterclass yeah. from oh. a best-selling author in a variety of different ways. That's, that's, I that's did. incredible. Yeah. And, and, you know, I sent him an early draft of a, of a book I remember, and it was terrible. And he was so gracious. And, and uh, you know, and, and he even at one point wanted to, like, really help edit it, you know. And, and I remember, you know, I was just like, I was a little too, I mean, you know, I, I wasn't thick-skinned enough. Now I've got such thick skin. I mean, you know, it's like leather. It's, it's, uh, but at the time, yeah, I just, I, I was a young writer. And, uh, but my respect for Jerry and for so many authors that I worked with, I mean, the list, like Francine Rivers. So that's another novelist. She was, she became another dear friend, her and her husband, Rick. And, and again, I would go fly out to see them and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be editing the book. I wouldn't be talking marketing. I actually, I remember I went out to see Francine Rivers and I, the first time, and I brought this really great marketing, you know, uh, preparation plan that I had been given and she threw it in the garbage. She, she literally, and she's like, I'm sorry, but I don't, I don't even want to look at that stuff because it stresses me out. I just need to write the book and you guys do what you need to do. And, uh, you know, again, she's coming from this certain aspect of how to write and you know so it yeah it was 13 and a half years of a master class in a sense like you said learning not just not really how to write but how to be a writer and mm -hmm. how they think and, well you also uh, had this unique perspective of how the publishing world worked on both sides right so you had this sort of internal knowledge right on every level of department from production to design to marketing to acquisitions yeah and then you had the authors you know you and I've talked about this a little bit in the past. And I, I think we even did with our friend Barry way back in the day yep. of just how similar, you know, authors are creatives. So your, your description of sending a manuscript into a publisher and wondering like, Hmm, do they like it? 
Do they not? Yes. I mean, that is our everyday as a creative, yep. right? You know, so I can totally relate to that. So year 13 and a half, right? And there's Travis. And so, you know, what did you step right into becoming a full-time author? Like, how was that transition? Yeah, yeah. I jumped off the cliff. That was the sort of, no, I, you know, I, I think because like, I loved my job so much and, and I gave it my all. And so just like so many people in, you know, jobs, especially you've been doing so long, you just get burnt out. And I think for me, and you, I think you even remember me being burnt out probably, you know, I think, you know, relationships when you're just constantly kind of giving your all it, I just, it, it became kind of overwhelming and I got, so I was at Tyndale in 94. That's when I started. And then I got my first novel published in 2000. Mm -hmm. So I had this other sort of career and it was, you know, it was a secondary income, secondary thing, but for me, it was everything, you know, I wanted, and I had always dreamt of, man, how, how awesome would it be to be a full-time writer? And so it, it was, it was really, it was God's timing. I know, but you know, financial advisor would have said, Travis, are you insane? Like, no, do not, do not, you know, leave. But, you know, I did, it was an opportunity where it was, you know, one book, ironically, it was a book that got canceled that then I ended up selling to another publisher that, and I got a four book deal. And so it was like, okay, I've got a little bit of time and, you know, and so I, you know, I, I jumped into it. And so, yeah, it's been, I, I think now I, we're coming on, I've, I've been a full-time writer longer than I've been a, been longer than I was at Tyndale. So I think it's been 14 years. I, it was 2017, but I remember that mark the day like that I passed because, you know, I thought 13 and a half years at Tyndale was a long time, but then, you know, I was like, you know, 13 and a half years of not knowing when I'm getting paid. That's what, you know, in a sense, and I would, I would not wish it on anybody because I mean, you know, you are creative, you're running your own business and, and you have people, you know, employees. I mean, you have people there, a whole team. I can't imagine that. And, and especially forget even the pandemic, but just all the stuff in the last decade. And I quit Tyndale right before the, you know, the, the, the market just went belly up in 2008. So, you know, it was, I don't regret it ever. It was, I, it was a great decision, but it was also one of these things that just, I was not prepared for it at all. I think we had a Kylie, our youngest, I mean, she was like, six or eight months old. Uh, but, but it was, it was something that it was, like I said, third grade, this is what I wanted to do. And I think the tension that I had at Tyndale, and it was always this tension was here are these people doing what I want to do. And now granted, not all of them were Jerry Jenkins, you know, a lot of them, what, what I learned was that for every best-selling author, there are like 400 authors that They'll do a book or two, and those books don't really work. I mean, mm -hmm. and the, well, I should shouldn't say they don't work because uh, a, a book's value it doesn't come from how many copies it sold, and that's not just a line that we tell an author after their book fails. 
I mean, I, I sincerely believe that, but but in terms of just publishing, like, you know, you have hopes for every single book. And then, you know, I mean, how many books you do you remember working on? And you spend all this time on, on an incredible cover, an incredible campaign, and then it just, it doesn't work. And, and, and that's just one of these many things I learned at Tyndale House. And I've had to sort of accept a lot of times the hard way, but I had this tension at Tyndale where it was like, the author and the author relations and the longer time went by it just felt like you know i so desperately wanted to be an author and and i've i've learned a ton living the quote unquote dream cuz mm-hmm. you know the dream never it's always different when you're living it <laughs> you know what true? i mean yeah i totally know <laughs> well i remember you and i you were really gracious when i published my book and I I love it. Ki- we were very kind about it and you know it's funny i'm i am been working on some other ideas and i talked to my old publisher and it was really funny they were just like well it sold okay didn't sell great what are you going to do to help this one sell you know so it just feels which is a totally appropriate and fair question but you know since was it 10 years ago you know the publishing industry has completely changed so you're on your own you get your four book deal so just you know I don't want, we'll jump ahead really quick, then then we'll go back to that moment. But as of today, how many Travis Thrasher books have been, or ones you've been a part of, how many are on the shelves, quote unquote? You know that, okay, so that's, I get I get asked that every now and then, and, and I honestly can't answer it because there's this thing, like, I'll, I'll, it's over... Like right now, it's over 75. Come and on. Yeah, no. Dude, and, that's and amazing. I, yeah, I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say, yeah, like 35. <laughs> yeah, no. It's just double no, that. I mean, it's in uh, like there, there are books like, for instance, there's this, there's the novelization I did for a, it was a movie that was ended up being done like, shown in Brazil. It was a novelization for, it's like a Brazilian pastor. And so the book was never, I've never seen a copy of it, but it was published, but it was only published in, I think it's Portuguese, right? You know, I'm showing my ignorance, but it was, so I remember just wondering, like, did that, did that book even ever happen? And I went online and I found it. I mean, it was very difficult to find. So then that's always sort of like, I've got different books like that, that I'm like, you know, do I count that? Now I'm counting that one. But then what about ebooks? Because I don't count ebooks, but there are a handful of those. But all that said, okay, hold on, in, hold on. We gotta, we gotta just before we move on too fast, why not count ebooks? Well, when you said printed, I mean like, oh, okay, okay. The technicality. Okay, I hear I hear no, you. no, I know. So, but but, but books I mean, like you've written, like, you know, so it's well over 70. Yeah, it's over 70. And 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 probably now more so. You know, all along, I always like, and I still to this day, I love fiction and it's, it's always going to be my my passion. And it's not like, you know, I haven't had a chance to write as much fiction just because I've been doing so many collaborations. But if I was to say like, okay, fiction versus nonfiction in terms of those books, it's probably close to half because, you know, I've done collaborations with people that are fiction, like doing a novelization of a film that's fiction or you know i've done a few where it's like writing a novel based on a song 
but but more and more, you know, it, it was like once I once I started doing collaborations and I was a full-time writer, one reason I've written so many books is just because I'm surviving at as a as a writer. And, and especially when I started doing collaborations, ghostwriting or co-writing, however you want to call it, I started at the bottom. And, I, you know, when even people who knew me, like editors, and they knew they knew I was a, a, a good writer, but I had only written fiction. So, you know, OK, so now I'm going to write somebody's memoir. Well, you know, I didn't have any experience that way. So I've had to slowly build my way up in terms of doing this and this and this. Yeah. Well, um, let's talk about, let's talk about exactly there. So I think that's one of the things that it is makes you, at least from my knowledge, very talented and very unique in the industry. So you've written books completely on your own, but let's talk about this concept of collaboration. Like, what do you mean by that? And, and, you know, how did it start? Yeah. I remember, so I, it was 2009 and I had been a, I had been full-time writer for, you know, like a year and a half or so. And I had a variety of different novels that had come out or were coming out. And I was doing more of sort of suspense. And so I decided, I was like, okay, I'm going to write my big Stephen King epic, dark novel for the general market. And because uh, most of my books were being published in the Christian market. So I spent nine months working on this. My, my agent knew about it. She liked the, the concept, the storyline. So I handed it in and it was, unfortunately, it was not good. And, and I remember, you know, she now, said, was it, it not good or was it just not accepted or what makes you say it was not good? No, it was, I mean, it, it so the concept was good, but it just, it kind of went off the rails. Mm. And the, the thing with a fiction versus nonfiction, like, you know, books are all different, even the types of nonfiction, but for a novel, if, if it goes off the rails kind of in the middle, for instance, you know, you can't just save the middle and keep the end in the beginning. I mean, it's really sort of like, okay, you gotta, you gotta go back and redo it. You know, and and so I I, I don't know. I, I just it, it really was not a well-written novel. And I really did sort of get lost in the character and the darkness. And, you know, and and I, I understand even when I read her first email, my agent sent me a very long email. She was trying to be encouraging, but she just said, you know, look, you've sort of lost your way in this and what she was telling me is that she felt like she couldn't sell the manuscript. And and now looking back so many years, I mean, yeah, I, she couldn't have, it just yeah. was not good. So that was, I mean, I remember reading the email and just, it was brutal because I'd spent nine months, you know, working on it with the hope and the need of her going out and selling it. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I've got to start almost from scratch. But it was, I mean, you'll like this story because you know the person, but she was, and this is true, she was literally typing this email to me saying, the nine months that you've worked on this, you know, sorry, but, you know, you've got to go back to the drawing board. As she was typing this email, she got another email from Becky Nesbitt, who was no longer at Tyndale, but she used to be an acquisitions person at Tyndale House a colleague and a friend. 
And she was now a, like a publisher, not publisher, an editor or whatever you want to call for another publishing house. And she sent my agent an email saying, hey, look, I know Travis is a fiction writer and he's doing lots of great things, but do you think he would be interested in a collaboration? And uh, which was very polite because Claudius, my agent at the time, sent me this secondary email and she said, you know, what would you think of that? Now, I, I, when I left Tyndale House, I was like, I'm never collaborating. I'm never co-writing, you know, and part of that was ego. Part of it was I had seen the the negative effects of like, you know, like co-writing. And I just, I wanted to write my own fiction and stuff like that. But when this opportunity came, I was like, thank you, God. Like, yes. Uh, I <laughs> yes, I need it. it. Yes, please. Yeah. I need it. And it was like the one of the best things ever because it changed you know, the trajectory of my career, but also, I mean, what happened was it, it ended up as I, as I told you, you know, it, it's like my years of author relations work at Tyndale house, they prepared me for this second career of writing books with people because so much of about collaborating, you know, when I'm working with somebody else on, on a book by them, whether it's, you know, the first time it was writing a novel based on a, a, a song by a country musician. His name's Jimmy Wayne, and the book was Paper Angels. And he still keeps in touch with me. He's such a gracious guy. But some, a lot of the collaborations have been, you know, I'm helping somebody write their life story. I'm, I'm helping them write their memoir. But that that really just, it was one of those things where, you know, I... I, I had said, I'm never doing this. And then of course the time comes and I'm like desperate. I'm like, I, you know, what am I going to do? And, and so, yeah, that started the whole collaboration thing. But even there, I had to kind of just find my way. Fortunately, I knew the publishing industry. It's a small industry. But the one thing I remember, even back in the author relations days, I remember sitting in meetings and they would tell authors, okay, you know, talk about brands and talk about, you know, like, okay, this is who you need to be. And it's oftentimes like you need to be in a box. Like you need to be known as, you know, like for instance, Nicholas Sparks writes sweet love stories. Um, uh, You know, John Grisham writes for the most part courtroom dramas. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, big name authors, they they're put in boxes and I was always like, I don't want to be like that. I'm like, why can't a writer be, why can't an author be like an actor where they do different parts? And I, I still believe that to this day, the pro there's, that's a whole other subject, but that's, I understand why that's difficult for readers. Cause you know, if a reader loves Stephen King's dark horror, if he suddenly writes a Nicholas Sparks type book, those readers, you know, they're going to be like, right. and if no one gets murdered, then they're going to be like, what's happening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're in, in, you know, sometimes those big name authors, they, they'll do something a little different, but I, I really did do the spectrum. My first book was Nicholas Sparks. And then I went into Stephen King territory, but I feel like even in nonfiction writing, like with co-writing ghostwriting, what you have is you'll have, writers who specialize in writing sports books, sports memoirs, or, you know, business type books, politics. And part of that's natural because you can't, you, you need to have some sort of knowledge about things mm-hmm. and, uh, and maybe an interest and a passion. 
But uh, with my career, it's, I mean, music has always been a love. So when I've worked with some musicians, that that definitely makes sense. But, uh, you know, I've, I worked with a politician once and I don't know anything about politics or business people, you know, and, and, and I've had to, I've had to learn on the fly, but, but at the same time, what I've learned is that, you know, you can, if you have the ability to tell a story and to do certain things with the book, you know, and a lot of it's organizing and doing certain things, you really can, you know, help someone else write their story. I've, made a career out of being completely outside of the box and not being known for kind of anything. Going back to that ninth grade story about finishing the book. And I, I'll tell this to people when we first talk about the potential of me working with them. I say, look, the number one thing I feel is my talent is finishing something. You know, it's like, here's a deadline and, you know, we need to get it done and that doesn't mean that I'm just going to get it done, you know, and in, in, in a fast and sloppy job, but it's just, you know, that deadline, it's like, there's a, there's a clock always ticking in my head, which is sometimes not so good, but you know, <laughs> but it helps me in my writing. Yeah. Well, no, that's good. Cause I think you're preparing them to say, Hey, listen, we're, we're in this together. And although it's, it's your story, you know, my responsibility is to get across the finish line. Right. So, yeah. Uh, well, Travis, can you just share maybe from a 10,000 foot perspective, like, you know, what does that collaboration look like? Like, how do you start? I'm sure it's a little different depending on the personality type of book, but just in general, how do you start it? And, and, you know, kind of what have you learned to kind of get it to go, you know, through that journey from that first meeting, right. Until you turn in the manuscript. Yeah. I, I think the very first thing I, I do is to try to figure out what an author that I'm going to be work be working with, like what they want in the book. You know, why are they doing this book? Is it they're finally telling their their life story? Is it a good thing to do? You know, they've got all these different things that they're doing. And so this is part of their business, part of their brand. Sometimes it's a publisher has almost, you know, convince them to do a book, but they don't really even want to do a book, which I understand. You know, there are all these different reasons why. So I really, even I, I want to try to find that out right away. And, and then to just see sort of like who they are, what, how do they operate? How do they work? Because every single person is different. And, uh, you know, and, and these are things that, you know, those don't necessarily tie into the book in terms of like just writing and structure and all that sort of stuff. But I need to get that first and foremost. So I just know, okay, how is this, how are we going to work together on this book? And uh, in, in those author relations days, you know, they, it's like they come back because I just try to accommodate the people I work with. It's like, you know, how do you, how much do you want to communicate and how do you, got, how do you want to work together? Most of the time, the uh, like, I mean, honestly, every single book's different. Yeah. So it's it's like, but but I always feel like you need to have that sort of outline, that story map. And sometimes they come to me in a proposal, like sometimes, you know, they've already sold it to the publisher. So you've got an entire outline proposal, but a lot of times those are still a little, you know, it's like, okay, that's the first attempt to do it. 
but then once we get into it, I mean, I find myself just, okay, this, this is good, but it can be better or, or mm. let's do it a little different. And, and I mean, instantly, every time I hear about a potential project, a lot of times I, I have, maybe I've heard a little about this person, or maybe I don't know anything about them. And so I, I just do like, I go crazy with like, okay, you know, reading about them, seeing, you know, videos or social media and, and all that sort of stuff. And so much about it is catching up to sort of who they are, you know, because we all live in these worlds now. Like I, I worked with a world-class bow hunter and, uh, you know, he is, he's incredible, but that's this world that I just don't know anything about. He's, you know, he runs ultra marathons. I don't run ultra marathons, you know, I mean, it's like, and, and so all of a sudden it's a door to not just somebody else's life, but also just, you know, another universe in a sense, another world, like, and so that's exciting, but it's like, I don't waste any time. I mean, especially, Mm. especially when it's like, like I had a book and it, it literally, it was like, you know, it's three months. Can you do this? And it was like a big, big, big book. And it was really intense because it, the timing was great because I just finished projects. I had that time, but you know, you just, it takes so much time to, you know, to write anybody's life story. And when you have somebody who's lived a very full life, you know, a lot about it is just pairing away the details. There's a lot of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so it's like, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time just sitting at my desk. This is going to sound funny, but I don't spend a lot of time sitting at my desk thinking in terms of like, Hmm, you know, what do I, what do I do? And what do I write and all that? I mean, I just, I just do it. Yeah. Like, and, and it's like the, well, that, that's, ad in- that's my main question. So, you know, when I think, and again, if I, if this offends you, correct me, but when I think of ghostwriting, right? Sometimes well, here, here's what I have in my mind. I don't know how accurate this is. I'm sure there's a spectrum. I see this person, whomever they are, has a book deal for whatever reason they want it, or it's part of the brand or whatever. And then basically you need to like interview them or, you know, I don't see them writing a ton. I see you doing most yeah. of the writing, right? Asking questions, listening. Is that fair? Or do they actually sometimes write as well? Yeah, that's a great question. That's and, and that's one that a lot of people, especially when I talk about ghostwriting, because, you know, sometimes my name is on a cover or sometimes it's in on the you know title page inside. But I've learned that, you know, when my name's on a cover, most people do not even see it. And it's like, you know, <laughs> does it matter to anybody other than my family? And I it matters but, to me, just so you know. Okay, good. I uh, it, it's it's one of those things I've I've done it where it's it doesn't matter to me. I just want the author and the publisher to know, you know, I I've, I've done the best job possible. But most of the time it is me technically writing, but see, this is where it gets it's like okay, but you're if somebody says, "Well, you're doing all the writing and you don't get credit." Well, I I'm taking what most of the time I'll interview somebody. And a lot of times I'll go and see them and I might spend two or three days with them. And then I, my style, this is my style. Some writers are very different. I'm not going back and suddenly trying to invent some new sort of voice, or I don't fictionalize anything. I take what they 
are telling me and I try to keep their voice as you know as authentic as possible so obviously somebody telling their story versus what it looks like in a book it's going to look different but I don't try I don't dramatically change what they tell me and put it in Travis Thrasher's voice and I think there's some ghostwriters co-writers that do that a little too much you know like it, it, they're not going to most most of the people I work with they're doing other things in life they they if they sounded like some poet that would sound odd you right. know they just need to it's more about telling their story and and so what I in some ways I I've been thinking of like often recently I've been saying this more and more where I feel like I'm I'm a curator because it's like here's a thousand details of my life but we can only select maybe you know maybe a hundred details but then you know you can only put maybe 50 true anecdotes scenes in a book how do you do that and and so part of it is is again it's always sort of like what's the box that this book goes in you know it's uh, and like that, and also when you talk about authenticity or, or trying to keep their voice i would you know just to kind of dig into that a little bit more when you're picking those 50 stories I'm going to assume that you're picking those stories based on what you believe the voice is as you're interviewing them or their, you know, kind of their persona or attitude. Is, yeah. is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. And a big part of it, I, I don't feel like I'm a, a great interviewer when it comes to, you know, being so articulate and asking the very right question. But, but at the same time, I feel like I'm a great interviewer when I'm with somebody because I, I want them to feel comfortable enough to just share their story. And, and the more time I spend with them, even when it's just emailing or talking on the phone or Zooms, Zoom calls, I start to pick up things that might not be, even stuff that they might not think that they want to include in a book. But the more I get to kind of hear what's inside of them, you know, what's, what's inside of their heart, like what makes them really, truly tick. That's the stuff that I start to go, Oh, okay. We need to put this in the book and I need to hear more about that. And that's this strange thing of like, you know, I can't even just, I can I mean, I'm trying to describe it, but it's a very intuitive thing. So it's, it's in that, that's what, that's the relationship part of it. So that then, you know, all of that is kind of in my head. It's in, it's in notes. And then when I come to the manuscript itself, I feel like then I'm, I'm almost sometimes using more of my left side of my brain because it's organization. You know, it's like, all right, you're telling somebody's life story and they've lived, you know, 30 years, they've lived 50 years. How, how, do, you, how do you organize this? And, but is it fair and, to say, though, that I think what part of the difference is what I'm kind of picking up from you is, you know, when you talk about the intuitive part of it and being a curator, but you're also looking at a lens differently than if you were just talking to them or interviewing them for like an article. You're actually looking yeah. at it for a story arc, right? So yeah. is that fair? Like you have your story arc glasses on and you're and you're thinking about how do I make this 30, 50 year life into a great story? Is that yeah, yeah, it, it is. And, 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 you know, memoirs are, they're called memoirs instead of autobiographies, because, you know, typically, 
an autobiography is only forced like a president or somebody where it covers everything. Most people, even, you know, famous people, the first like 18, 20 years of their life are, you know, they're not that interesting. Some Sometimes they have really like everything in your first 18 years, it ends up sort of defining who you are. But at the same time, you know, a lot of times readers don't want to read about that. Like if you were in a famous band, well, okay, do you want to read about this person when they're 10 years old and, and they're living in such and such? I find myself, it's sort of like, okay, that's good to know, but let's get to the good stuff. But that's again, how it's all like how you balance it. And yeah, it's, you know, when I, when I think about the writing process, or even sometimes I'll have to explain sort of my process to somebody who I might be potentially working with. And it's very difficult because I, I mean, I can say, okay, this is how I do things. But then I look at the people I've worked with and I'm like, every single, every single book is different. Like, like I'll give you an example. So Ty Pennington, I worked with him. If, if you remember him, he's the extreme, he was a host of the extreme home makeover guy. Yes. Yeah. 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 He's, Love that he's, guy. He's insane. I love him. He's like total ADD and he's exactly like the person you see on TV. And the way we structured the book is like the way his brain works, where it's sort of like all over the board. But at the end, it had a purpose of sort of showing this is what the brain of somebody with ADD, what it looks like. But the the thing is, you can develop, you know, you can go from start to finish, even in a book from somebody like that. But that was one of those things, like it was kind of this creative way of telling the, that book or telling his story. So yeah, everything is, I don't know. I think I've wandered off track here, but no, no, I think it's super fun. I, you know, I, uh, I have a, you know, a few remaining questions here that I want to get to and respect your time. So, you know, I guess my, one of my last questions is what makes a good collaborator and what makes a challenging collaborator? That's a good question. (laughs) Challenging can be, I mean, challenging can be anything from like somebody who is like calling you, you know, really, really late at night. I mean, you know, like that's, that's one of those things where it's like everybody is different. And so I think, I think that probably the most challenging thing would be somebody who doesn't isn't really fully 100% in to the idea of wanting to write and publish a book. I you know, I have had a few where they just feel sort of like maybe indifferent or you know, a little more like sometimes they just have so many things going on that then the book is not the top priority and I get that. And that's why like I you know, I want to be able to figure that out and go okay, this book is part of the, all the many things you have going on. So my job is not just to work on it, but to, you know, just to maximize the brief amount of time I have with somebody and, and to, you know, so I think, I think it's, it's hard to kind of single out one thing as far as like challenging because every, I mean, you know, this as a creative who works with people and companies, you know, every job creates it it has challenges in its own way for instance three months to write this very big book that's challenging but 
but then you know it might be challenging to just try to get an, an author to the finish line. That's been one of the things that I remember that one one project where the author just legitimately I I they did not want to let go of the book and they just kept tweaking it and changing. And and I I honestly I was like you know we've got to send it into the publisher you've got to let it go you know and and that was hard for for this person to to let it go so that was all about the relationship that wasn't about the writing you know it becomes like this unique partnership but it I, sounds like in the beginning and I don't know if this is true you try to set some ground rules of you know like you said I'll, I'll you know I, if there's one thing I know I can do I can get it done. And then do you, do you try to do that as best you can, depending on the person to say, Hey, here, here's kind of how this process goes and, and uh, let's get after it. Yeah. I, I try to set expectations and we try to figure out a plan like, okay, how, how exactly is this going to work? You know, how, how much are we going to, you know, am I going to interview somebody and then kind of go away and then end up writing a few chapters and sending it to them? Is it going to be like, Am I going to write chapter to chapter, that sort of thing, and hand it in? A lot of times, that's what I do. Hmm. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's and oftentimes, I mean, we always know the deadline. So for me, it's always like, okay, I have five months, and and I always sort of break it out. Like this is what I, this is what I should be doing. This is this is a goal. Like my goal this week is through these three chapters. And I don't go into that much specifics with authors that I work with un- unless yeah. they really want that. If they yeah. do, cool. It's awesome. All right. I have a, I have two fun questions, I think, for you. All right. Yes. So of your collab so far and that you can share, who are some, who have been some of your favorite collabs? Well, that's tough. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at books. I mean, I, so there's this band named Johnny Swim and they're I, I think they would be considered singer-songwriter indie rock all I see are angels and all these streets of gold to lead to you I I love them before I worked with them and there's a picture of me you're gonna love this there's a in the book at the very end in the acknowledgments they, they give me a shout out and and there's a picture of me at Lollapalooza and and they they took a picture of the crowd and i'm dead sir and i'm like ah! i mean it's so classic but they were it's abner and amanda and they're just amazing individuals they're like talented and good looking and they've got these amazing children they lived in la and and he be, he's i mean he became a buddy i mean like i'd be texting him like about sci-fi movies like hey man did you see christopher nolan's latest film and and that's the, that's the other thing i'll have to say about this is i become so close to these people because they have to kind of tell me everything a lot of times they tell me more than they've told almost anybody you know, they got to trust and, and you too, right? I mean, that's that's an intimate they thing. They do. Yeah. It, it, it is. And so you develop this relationship and then it's like the project ends and they, they go away and I'm like, what happened? Like, <laughs> I just you know, lost my friend. Like a, <laughs> I know. It's like, it's like we broke up. And, and you know, and, and so I sometimes get, I mean, every single project I do, it seems like I start to really just, the more I learn about these people and I'm like, man, this is fascinating or these, or this is amazing. Like what an incredible individual. And sometimes I have to dial that down because I'm like, you know, 
I'm professional and, but, but I am who I am and, and I want them to know, you know, what I think, how passionate I am. The Johnny Swim one, they're, you know, the, I'm, I'm wondering if- By the way, I'm going to find that picture and put it in our show notes. Oh, that, I mean, it's, it's great. I'll, I'll send it to you because it's, you know, and I mentioned the Ty Pennington one, you know, there's a few that are in the work, so I won't talk about those, but Jonathan Kane is, so he's the keyboardist from the band Journey. So, and, you know, Journey, everybody, you know, the- Doesn't he live in everybody. Illinois? Just total side note. No, he, he came from, he grew up in Chicago. Okay. Yeah. And so, Some yeah, so you're right about that. Oh, and so, you know, he, he was telling his life story and I, I, you know, I'm a kid from the eighties and grew up listening to, you know, journey was part of the soundtrack of my childhood and everybody knows don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. A lot of people know journey you know, people don't know Jonathan Kane, and that's very understandable. He understood that, but it was, so the first song I ever danced with my wife now, my wife is Sharon. In high school, we danced to this song, Faithfully, which Jonathan Kane wrote. I'm forever yours. Faithfully. So, that just shows you my preferences in one way because I just mentioned two musicians and <laughs> you know, I mean, Chris Kattan is, you know, he was a comedian. He's crazy. And he, I always, I always told him, Chris, you're the brother I never wanted. I mean, that's, and, <laughs> and that shows my relationship. It's kind of like yeah. you and I, I mean, like the, you joking back and forth, he's a, just a gentle soul, but yeah, I mean, those are few that off the top of my head, but I actually, oh, another one, and this book's about ready to come out. So Chef Andre Rush, his book is coming out li- next month. And uh, oh, is that the, that's the White House chef for the Obama? Yes. Is that? Yeah, okay. He's like the big guns. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. He's, he is such a gentleman, such a professional. He's got a great sense of humor and he's one of those, I mean, he's done everything. He's got so many stories. So it's sort of like, what do you pick? I mean, which one do you, what yeah. do you choose? And, and yeah, he's, he's big on social media. And, that sounds super uh, fun though. Yeah, he, he is. He is. And actually right now I'm doing a, I'm starting to help him write his cookbook, which I mean, a cookbook, what do I like? Really? I, I can't make anything, but what are you talking about that. That sounds super fun. And, and you can, oh, it's awesome. And you're a great writer. And obviously it shows the trust they have in you. Yeah, it's, I mean, I know, I know more about him and I have all the notes and, uh, you know, I'm probably going to go see him again. And it's less about, he's got the recipes. It's all about how do I, you know, select stories and match them up with, you know, certain things. And, and, and so, you know, my encouragement to people, especially in the writing field is like, you know, you, you, it's something that you can grow into, you know, Mm -hmm. certain you cannot just grow into becoming an NBA star. That doesn't happen. Right. But with writing, it's like one of those things, you know, I never knew I'd, I'd be a memoir writer. I wrote a biography of the 1936 Berlin Olympians who ran with Jesse Owens. If I had told myself back at Tyndall that one day I would write that, I'd be like, how? how? Like, what? where did that come from? And I still to this day go, wow how how did that happen but it's like 
one door opens and leads to another you know you know this and and you know it's like suddenly you find yourself connecting with somebody and then with that book it was just an idea i said you know why isn't there a book about this it was a documentary and then the person i told an actor and he was like well what would you think about doing it and i'm like yeah sure that'd be great and i'm thinking you know wow it, it was a lot of work but it's just one of those things where i feel like i've been learning as i do it like you know sometimes you you go to a class to you know learn how to write a biography i just learned how to write a biography by writing writing a biography, a biography. <laughs> <laughs> well trev you've been so gracious with your time I'll, i'm gonna leave you with one question it's gonna be a hard one for you because i just know the way your brain works so i'm gonna throw it out there anyways if you could collab with any celebrity author famous musician right now and you could only pick i'll give you two one or two and you could write their story or or whatever who would it be okay well the first the first is easy and and this just and it's not a plug but it's so i you know i'm about ready to come out with a biography of bono and i know more about bono than probably you know, I, I don't know, like I, very few people probably know more than I do because I spent, you know, a couple of years in his world. Now I haven't met him and, but I just, you know, it's one of these ideas that I was like, write a biography on Bono. And so it was one of these where it's like, there's so much out there on him. And it was a really, truly kind of curating it. it. The more I got into the book, the more I just, my admiration for him just grew and of course, I love you too, and I love the music. But just as a person, he, he he really is just utterly fascinating. He's funny. He's just all the all the things about him that make him such a unique person in interviews and the reason people love him. I I think it would just be fascinating to hear more about like because I know so much. I I could be like, okay, so this moment here, like why did this happen? Or, or, or even like, you know, he, he's never really spoken much about his wife because that's off limits. And so I would just, you know, I mean, that's fascinating to know more about that, or he's a father of four. So, you know, that's, that's one, another person, honestly, that I I've even considered oh doing a biography probably won't, but he's, you probably know this by I mean I probably shared our you know we still go see movies right and yep. our love of movies so Brad Pitt I, I'm fascinated by not his I don't you know not his personal life and all this stuff but the movie choices he has done they are just I I would almost love to just do a book on those characters because they're all incredible films it's just fascinating kind of like, Oh, you know, what made you want to do this? That's one of those things where it's like less of the personal stuff, you know, the relationships and all that, and more of just from an artistic standpoint, why are you making these, you know, creative decisions to choose this sort of character? You know, I love it. Stephen, yeah. Stephen King has always been influenced and I still would love to just, talk to him about writing, you know, mm -hmm. he's, you know, because he have you ever, so did you much. see his masterclass on writing? I haven't. And I'm, I, I need to do a deep dive on that. Yeah. Like it's pretty, all master. Was pretty it good? Amazing. 
yeah. I mean, I, I obviously I'm you and I've talked about this before. We have a lot of similar tastes. I'm a fan. And by the way, I still think one of Brad Pitt's best parts is when he played the gypsy in the Guy Ritchie movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, there is a problem with pikers or gypsies. What are you doing, Potter? Get out the way back. Can't really understand much of what is being said. You tell me. Come back to Catherine. Mr. O'Neill. Fuck, man. Tell me, Mickey. It's not Irish. It's not English. How are you? Fair to witness my kindness with the horses, you know. It's just, well, it's just pikey. Fuck me. Just look at the size of it. How big are you? Hey, kids. How big is he? He's a big man, that's for sure. Hey, man. Come and look at the size of this fella. Bet your back's a little. Can't you talk? Ah. You look like a bachelor. Yeah. He's, I mean, people know now his sense of humor. You know, Brad Pitt's got a, a sense of humor, but he's he's he spent a career trying to make himself in, in some ways, you know, ugly. I mean, some of his roles, he's like deliberately playing down the good. Here's my thing on Brad Pitt really fast, and then we can go. Not that this has anything to do with anything, but I think he realized he's a good looking guy, but he is not, when he started, he was not a great actor. I mean, people would even say, you're probably not a good actor. I think he realized, man, I got a long ways to go, but I'm good looking. But he, so he grew as his acting got better and better, but he, you know, made amazing choices in films. And so, you know, he, he was lucky enough to to be in great films by great directors that I think sometimes made him look better. Yeah. And I think, I think deep down, he sort of knew, knows this, but then he became one of, you know, he became a great leading actor uh, who he is now. Did you see Ad Astra, that movie? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, right. it, it, we'll have to, we'll have to cut yes. it here because you and I could talk about the, the nuances of Brad Pitt's career. And this is the kind of Don't conversation. Don't leave me, Justin. <laughs> these are the kind of conversations, by the way, to the listeners that uh, Travis and I would get lost in Tyndale sometimes when we were supposed to be doing other things. So. Yes. Well, my friend, I just uh, a couple things. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for always being there and gracious for me, especially when I had even had writing questions. Yeah. I also want to say congratulations. You know, you and I have had many conversations years and years and years ago about could this dream come true? And here it is, man. You're you're making it happen. Yeah. I'm 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 so excited for you. And uh, thank you, man. I can't wait to see future Travis Thrasher novels full written or collabs it doesn't matter they're all been really great so thanks my man thank you justin and hey if i I want you to finish that second book if you need some encouragement reach out i'm serious completely you said something that really encouraged me and i made note of it is two things one get started yeah and finish right i can always go back and edit and tweak and all that sort of thing yeah if you ever want to run ideas by me as far as like you know you need input um, do it. Cause I, you know, I'd love to help in any way, you know, seriously.
Wow. Thank you so much, Travis, for not only being a great dude doing this show, but also just being a talented writer and great human. To read up on Travis and his various book projects, go to travisthrasher.com. T-R-A-V-I-S-T-H-R-A-S-H-E-R.com. And buy or gift some of his books. Happy reading. I also want to thank Sleeping At Last for providing our show soundtrack. For more on Sleeping At Last music, please go to sleepingatlast.com or search for Sleeping At Last wherever you get your music from. And to design those audio engineer, Steve Wick, who loved this episode so much, he started listening to his favorite book narrator again. Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's plutonian shore, quoth the raven, nevermore. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it. If so, please give us a ranking on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tell others about our show on your social of choice and stay tuned for more of Season 8 coming soon. Please follow us on Twitter at Design of Podcast and check out our site at rule29.com forward slash design of podcast. See you next episode.